G'day and welcome to Australian Strange Stories, where we pull up a chair, kick back and listen to your strange stories about hair-raising encounters, unnerving events, weird happenings and dive into the eerie side of life. Real stories from real people about the unknown and unexplained. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 3 of Australian Strange Stories. I am so proud to share with you that we have listeners all over the world. So welcome to the USA, Australia, the Netherlands, Germany, Denmark, just to name a few. Thank you so much for listening and for providing us with feedback on our show. We really appreciate it and love hearing from you. It is so nice to hear that some of you are actually waiting for the next episode to be uploaded. So from Sydney to all of you, thank you. In the next episode, we continue our conversation with Attila Caldi. And for you that have not listened to episode two, Attila is a freelance creative producer of documentaries about anything paranormal or UFOs. And what I love most about him is his skill in storytelling and the fact that he's so down to earth about it all. I'm sure you will agree with me because most of the times we don't know what we're seeing or dealing with and he doesn't speculate but goes by the facts that we know. So enjoy the second part of my interview with Attila. Well, look, I mean, my, my wife <clears throat> um, is a practicing medium. Well, she's, she's sort of gone, um, uh, sort of left that sort of, area behind it a little bit because she's focusing more on a business at the moment but look at the end of the day and, and what I've learned living with with someone like like my wife who's a medium um, oh. is that that um, anyone has the ability to tap into their extrasensory abilities um, I think it just you just need to listen beyond the noise of the world mm. um, I think that we live very very sort of very um, vibrant lives and very noisy lives. So if we can actually go beyond the chatter, go beyond the so-called static of everyday life um, and just listen, I think that you'd be surprised what you'd hear. Oh, absolutely, because I've had some experiences of myself and of my own, I should say, and um, which, which, you know, which is amazing. So for me, I'm convinced there's more to it and I'm convinced there's people that have those abilities and mm. it intrigues me, you know. I, I mm. just, you, you just can't help but want to experience it for yourself because, like you said, it is so hard to prove. And mm. so you just have to trust someone to, you know, and, and, and go with what they feed you. And like I said, we only use such a small portion of our brains. Mm. So I'm, I'm not surprised. And like you said, you've got firsthand experience with your wife and maybe we should talk to her on another occasion because I would be very interested you know, mm. to hear well, about how it works and what her experiences are. And, sure. Yeah. 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 Well, look, I mean, one example, a prime example here, um, we recently filmed uh, a documentary called Ghosts of Europe. Um, so essentially we went to the Ukraine and we did some filming in Chernobyl. Okay. Um, we we, uh, we filmed, <laughs> we went to a, an abandoned school over there and then we went to uh Slovakia, we filmed at a uh, castle there that was owned by 
the notorious Elizabeth Bartery, uh, who was allegedly a uh, like a female vampire, Dracula, who bathed in the blood of virgins, allegedly. Um, but yeah, when we went to that castle, funny enough, one of the crew members is not a medium at all. She's uh, involved in the paranormal. Mm. Um, when you go to a place that is so much, I guess, so, so many different layers of of the past sort of all blended into one. Yeah. Um, the history is so rich. Uh, you know, people walk up to these places and start having sensations um, and then they start interpreting these sensations. And we had a classic example in one particular spot in the castle where there was this massive pit and one of the uh, crew members who's a uh, panel investigator actually and she starts actually interpreting her feelings. Mm-hmm. So it's quite interesting to see something like that coming from someone who is not a medium. Yes. And, uh, and because she was in such an environment, um, she was able to listen and, and, uh, and pay attention to her feelings mm-hmm. and uh, interpreting the images that were coming from her feelings. And they could, you'll know because they're very, very different from emotional feelings that you have for, for example, for a loved one or if somebody upsets you mm-hmm. uh, in in the traffic or, you know, if you have stress-related or work-related stress and things like that. So these are different types of experience. These are different types of feelings and emotions and something that you don't – you're not really acquainted with and all of a sudden when they do pop up, you know, you have like these sort of goosebumps and your solar plexus starts churning a little bit and you start thinking, hang on a second, you know, I'm getting something here that is really weird and I've never had a feeling like this before. And this is basically what they're going through because, you know – even though she's travelled around the world, she hadn't been to this particular part of the world. So it's quite interesting to see people's behaviour and reactions in such places. It's extremely interesting, and, and especially because it's feelings and it's like things you wouldn't be able to make up yourself. You know, like there might That's have right. been there might have been things coming up that you wouldn't even have have worded like that yourself. And, and where is that coming from? Then you know. Although we have to be very careful to be able to separate that from auto-suggestion as well because mm. we are prone to to suggestion and when one person has an experience, we may be influenced by that as well. So it's really – it's not an easy one either because if you think about it, you need to be able to separate suggestion from what is actually – one of these true sensations that is coming through. So what are you really interpreting? You have to ask yourself, are you interpreting uh, a suggestion because you know that you're at a location that has a lot of history? Mm. Is that actually influencing your train of thought at the time or are you really connecting with the with the location that you're in? So it, there's a fine line between the two and I think it does take a fair bit of practice to be able to identify whether or not it's suggestive or mm. whether it is, is actually something that you're picking up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's sensory sensory thing and and was there any other um interesting things that that you have um experienced while while filming that in europe is there is there differences for example because what i'm interested in is is there certain cultural um experiences certain phenomena that would maybe appear more in one area than in another so was there differences between the ukraine and and in australia for example Look, what I have to tell you is is that um, with, with the lo- all the locations we went to, there was some form of some level of activity in every single place that we went to, mm. and I think it, it comes down to the point that you know in Australia, because you know you know ghost tours and ghost hunting is so popular, you know there's so many people do it. it it's almost 
it's almost sterilized these locations if mm. you think about it where in europe nobody actually well certain parts of europe especially in eastern europe mm. because of their belief system and because of the um how can i put it the um well their belief system and their culture but um also they have a fear of 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 the afterlife they have a fear of the of ghosts mm. uh, so it's um, uh, it's just one of those things that they don't like dabbling in. They don't mm -hmm. like they don't like sort of entertaining the idea of, of ghosts and the afterlife because, like I said, it's part of their culture. So nobody really, um, and they're very superstitious too. I have mm -hmm. to admit, uh, when it comes to uh, you know hauntings and the like. But look, nobody really in, in Eastern Europe really practices actually go ghost hunting, so to speak. So mm. nobody really investigates these. So if you go into a location and if there is genuine activity, um, you're going to raise some interest because ultimately all of a sudden, you know, hey, Presso, you know, you're there yeah. um, and you're, um, you're acknowledging the fact that there could be something here. Um, and if that is perceived on the other side, uh, mm. for argument's sake, um, then ultimately – activities are born from that you know so it's funny because every single place that went to these abandoned places there was some level of activity mm. some were more stronger than others ultimately but there was there was some level of activity in these old historical places so it's you don't get that in in australia and, and i think for that particular reason because it's been so overdone mm. uh, that it's it's literally like i said it sterilized these places to a certain degree mm. Mm. So it's nearly like the energy has sort of been taken away out of that whole mm. well, area what? already or because people – do people sort of pollute these sort of areas by going in there too often and, you know, and just because everyone radiates energy and we're all energy beings, do you think that influences sites? I don't – look, it's very hard to say, but I think it's it comes down to a point where, you know, if, even if – like let's let's say hypothetically a, a place is haunted, mm -hmm. um, it's almost almost becomes like a parlor trick for these guys on the other side to perform all the time. You know, mm. um, at the beginning, you know, when you're trying to establish contact, yeah, there, there could be a level of interest there, but um, afterwards, um, I think it's just I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I think I think there's a loss of interest. Perhaps there is that whole idea of, of you know of of contamination from people, hmm. I don't know, but it just seems to, after a long period of time, and there are ghost hunting, ghost tours done over a repeated period of time at a location, it seems to sterilise these places um, to a certain degree. I have hmm. to admit, because ultimately there are people still claim to have had or still claim to have activity in some of these places in Australia, but it's like I said, it's very different over in Europe because. There's no well, people don't go ghost hunting in these places. Yeah. So there's one particular instance when we were around 2015. We were actually in a castle uh, and we were basically locked in in this whole area. So we had it to ourselves. There was three yeah. of us there, and we actually had a recording meter down on the bottom of the staircase. So we decided to go up on to the staircase and sort of film the sunset and everything else. And then we started hearing noises and doors opening and closing. Um, now, you know, because the castle is locked off or closed after a certain time, well, there's nobody there to mm. listen to this. So we were there after hours. We were locked in, and they've got no security cameras at this particular location. 
And we're going downstairs thinking, okay, well, hang on a second, did somebody actually walk in on this? Well, nobody really walked in. Um, so um, essentially uh, what we have what we did is is we walked downstairs, we listened, um, we, got the, um, we got the recording media and we played it back and we actually heard a, uh, a young kid say, Mummy. Oh my god! <laughs> in, the, in the staircase of this of this castle. Mm. So um, yeah, it was quite interesting mm. to actually uh, listen to that. And you you were so brave to go in there with your team and just get locked in. <laughs> well, just... look after you do this for a while, and um, and the truth is that you know you I think it's more curiosity than anything else, and mm -hmm. I think you, because I'm I'm a um, a cameraman and producer, you know, uh, I'm interested to see, okay, well, you know, there's, this place has a story and let's find what story this place is going to tell us and let's see if we can convey that over to the audience. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, as a producer, I'm a storyteller, so I mm. want to tell the story of a particular location uh, so the viewers can also enjoy it as much as we are. Yeah, exactly. And, and these uh, documentaries, Ghosts of Europe, where will we be able to find them? Are they online already or can we they subscribe? Are, yes. or? Uh, yeah, well, it's actually a 40-minute documentary and it's actually on Amazon Prime um, and you can basically watch it from Amazon Prime. Fantastic. I will put the, uh, the link into um, the text underneath the, I, uh, the podcast so people can, uh, can find yeah, that. No that would be very interesting. I would be very interesting to, to go and watch it myself. I can't hear enough of your stories. I find it really, really amazing. And yeah. then, which, which brings me to another thing is what triggered your interest in this field, actually? Was that because you, like you said, you're a natural storyteller and, and, and you're just interested in anything ambiguous? Or is, is there personal experience with with certain encounters maybe that has triggered your interest in this field um well look i've been interested in 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 filming for a long time in fact i think my first camera was a panasonic m7 which basically had a vhs tape inside so you just <laughs> make the vhs tape inside and press record and away you went so my very first video camera was bought in 1990 and you know i've been sort of fascinated with cameras ever since then and so recording family trips and stuff like that. Um, in regards with the unexplained, I mean, uh, yeah, this thing has been around me ever since I was a kid. Mm. Um, and in Ghosts of Europe at the very beginning, I kind of sort of talk about that a little bit, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, um, I've had experiences as, as far back as I can remember. Um, one particular one, which was a really, really creepy experience, was a uh, – Geez, I don't think I was any more than, say, probably 10 years old, 9 wow. years old. And um, this is one of the earlier experiences. And we were renting a, an old house next to a battle axe block in Bathurst. We were building a, 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 a two-story property um, in Kelso at the time. And I was sick. Um, and I, I had a couple of days off from school. So, And I remember I was in this little room. It was dark. It was an old place. It was an old almost like a Californian bungalow probably built in the 1920s, mm -hmm. uh, 1930s. And um, I remember that one particular area of my room was very, very dark. And from the corner of this room, there'd be this figure that would walk out. It would just freak the hell out of me. Um, and I kept on telling my parents, that, look, you know, there's, there's this, this, this old, this woman coming out of the corner of my room. She's dressed in old sort of gear and everything else. And there's somebody, and I don't remember oh, something else that was coming out. It was one particular corner 
of the room. It was dark. It was a very dark corner. Mm. And she'd walk out of there and she'd be black and white. Uh, so there was no color to it. And then there was mm. something else that came out of that, some, some other form of darker figure that I, I can't sort of recall. I can't sort of give you a description on its characteristics. There was no face, no, you know, features on the actual body. So I can't even identify whether or not it was dressed in, in some form of, of outfit or not. But uh, I do remember that we actually quickly moved from that place because I, I do believe that my parents, because I told this story to my parents, obviously, mm. as many parents do, they'll tell you, look, you know, it's just your imagination, you know, you're probably <laughs> dreaming. And I think at one point in time, I think uh, they did get spooked and they end up leaving that place. There it was very, enough for them as well. Yeah, yeah. So they become very, they became very, very vigilant. Mm. Uh, things, especially my mum. Um, and then when we moved to Europe, um, I had experiences there. We lived in a, a place that was built by a Jewish couple. Like mm-hmm. in the 1920s, they were taken away during the Second World War. And uh, we did have some really interesting experiences there. Well, I did anyway as a child. Mm. Uh, some of my most frightening experiences other than the one over in Bathurst. So, yeah, so these things have always been around me um, as far as I can remember. Wow. Um, and so ultimately, you know, as an adult, you sort of, you know, I, I think we were influenced by our childhood. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, people who get abused during their childhood is sort of that sort of echoes throughout the whole adulthood or adult life. Uh, but for me, it was it was primarily the paranormal because mm-hmm. of of my experience that I had uh, in my childhood sort of echoed throughout my whole life. After that, do you um, still have do you still have those those experiences though? Do you do they? reappears because sometimes you hear that people that have certain um, experiences in their in their youth that that you know once or twice in their adult life they they see similar things is that well, is that the case in your case or? we do live in a in a very old little cottage it was one of the first sort of farmhouses in the area at the moment and uh it does has its moments we do have some interesting stuff happen mm. here um there was one particular instance we had a a uh, a leather uh, sofa here and couch and, uh, and one day we're watching television. I mean, this is one incident out of a whole bunch of stuff that actually happens here. Uh, and we can actually hear, you know, when you sit down on, on a, a leather couch, you can actually hear the, the leather creaking the as creaking, you sit. Creaking, yes, yeah. That's what we heard. And when we looked at the couch, at the, sorry, at the couch, we can actually see an indentation of someone's backside. Oh, man. <laughs> um, sitting down so it was pressing down and we could hear it go down and thinking okay well that's interesting someone's here to watch tv with us yeah so, <laughs> so yeah um Join the club. Yeah. well yeah I, I do believe that it, my wife believes that my nephew who died at the so very early age of at the age of 26 um oh, i'm so sorry to yeah. hear that yeah it was a it was a shocking uh tragedy uh which happened uh about 12 years ago now but um uh when it happened i um funny enough uh we were in bed and the fan turned off and our fans obviously hooked up to the main and this is like two o'clock in the morning and i'm thinking to myself that you know i woke up because the fan turned off i'm thinking it's either power shortage or someone might have died so what made you think that well, because you hear these stories where clocks stop and, and things and household appliances are, are affected by by someone's departure. and mm. um, uh, It's like time stands still for a moment or something. Like well, that. So, so you hear a lot of these stories from people and mm. then that was one of the first things that popped into my mind at 2 o'clock in the morning when I woke up. So 
that morning, nine o'clock that morning, I got a phone call from my brother. He said, look, Michael died in the coma. Oh, my goodness. So, um, and I said, all right, well, yeah, I was shocked. But mm. the first thing I did, because I, um, I got a recording meter out, a dictaphone, and I just started recording. And I actually picked up his voice. Um, and um, the voice actually said, it's Mikey, help me. Wow. So, so oh, well, yeah, I'm getting shivers down my spine. <laughs> Yeah, I still got his recording. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, you could just barely make it out, and I actually sent it off to the crew at the time, and I said, mm. "Guys, can you interpret this for me." And everybody came back with the same answer. So it wasn't my interpretation only, but everybody else sort of said, "Okay, we believe this is what it's saying," because it's a very, it's very faint, and it's behind a lot of static. Mm. You can just make it out that it's a human, a human voice, and it did sound like Michael. So, uh, yeah, that was quite interesting. That um, you know something like that uh, that happens in your own family, um, and you have you know a, a first-hand experience like that. So, yeah, yeah. so it, it's it kind of happens even to this day. It's uh, yeah, it's fascinating, so. but it's it must also be comforting in a way, you know, just just having that feeling that. Yes, they do. They do pass over, but they're still around with us. So yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I find that a a beautiful sort of way of looking at it. That it is not an an, an end, but a new sort of chapter for them. Mm, mm. Well, I guess when you're dealing with this kind of stuff and filming it for such a long time, um, I mean, I've been filming the paranormal for over ten years now in Australia, and, and also obviously overseas as well, but um, with, with the experiences that you have and everything else, you, you mm. then tend to realise, well, look, there's there's no point in being sceptical about this or, or being, you know, vague about it. You know, things happen, and that is a, an absolute fact. Yep. Things happen. Sometimes, most of the times, actually, we don't know what we're dealing with. Um, and then there are times, you know, we think, okay, well, I have a very good idea that this is what's happening at the moment. So, um, yeah, look, things do happen. Uh, there are things out there that we will, we cannot explain and we'll never probably explain that. Exactly. And ultimately we won't find out until the end moment when we, when we cross over. So yeah. that's when the truth will be revealed to us. I know. And there's so many fascinating stories out there, you know, on so many different areas, you know, like the paranormal, mm. UFOs in, in, in so many different formats. And, and you mentioned something um, interesting that I had not heard about and, you know, excuse my ignorance there, but um, you mentioned cryptozoology? Yeah, cryptozoology. Um, actually, uh, I'm, I'm doing a, a presentation at the Australian Institute of Parapsychology next month mm-hmm. uh, on um, on cryptozoology and it's based on the Australian Bigfoot called the Yowie. Ah. Um, so uh, I've actually done uh, – a few um, episodes of a series that we filmed called Paranormal Investigators or PI Uncut, mm-hmm. and it's it's a journalistic view on the paranormal, uh, which is on Vimeo. And um, basically we were shooting a few segments on the Australian Bigfoot, and I actually got my son who, you know, teenager, mm-hmm. to actually report on this to get a, a teenager sort of point of view on the Australian Bigfoot. Mm. But I've also interviewed some Indigenous folk as well, and uh, they told me uh, their sort of stories because this, this, the Yowie or the Australian Bigfoot, you mm. know, stretches back way before colonisation. You know, the Aborigines here in Australia 
uh, can tell you stories if they will tell you stories about uh, about the Yowie and how they respect them and how they keep their distance. Mm-hmm. There are places in Australia where they knew that uh, certain tribes actually knew, okay, well, this is Yowie territory, so we're not going to cross over there. We're going to keep on our side and then we'll, we'll, we'll respect their domain, their territory. Amazing. So, um, yeah, obviously different tribes have different names for it, mm. but uh, the, the Yao is obviously um, the well-known uh, name of the Australian Bigfoot. So, yeah, I've, I've done a, a fair bit of research and a, a fair bit of investigation and a lot of sort of investigative journalist type work for P.I. Uncut, mm-hmm. uh, the Yowie. And uh, look, again, you know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, people have seen these. Mm. Um, we have we have experienced some interesting stuff, but um, I, I, up until this point now, I haven't had a first-hand account with it. The only thing that we can do is theorise what, um, what a creature or, or species like the Yowie, mm. if we entertain the idea that they do exist, mm. um, how would they live? Uh, and obviously, being such an ancient um, culture, uh, yeah. how would they actually fit in with you know with our current environments? Uh, uh, you know, where we, you know, um, encroaching into national parks areas and destroying forests and things like that. And how would that impact them? So, you know, you, you talk to Aborigines, and I, I have great respect for Aboriginal stories and, and the Aboriginal culture. Um, I've actually met quite a few people um, who are of the Indigenous community over in Dubbo and made quite a few friends over there. And, um, and it's, it's just, just fascinating to listen to these people, you know, listening to these their stories and their own experiences. I know it is very fascinating, especially because they come from such a different cultural point of view, you know, and, and just to see that, you know, no matter where you are in the world and what your background is, um, mm. in essence, we have experienced similar phenomena. So that's really, it's a very fascinating area, I find, especially mm. with Bigfoot, because, you know, it, in, it, it's not a, um, it, it's a very common thing in, in the USA, for example, as well, where mm. they, where there's research into Bigfoot. So it, is there, from, from your research, are there similarities between the Yowie and, and the Bigfoot that they have experienced on that side of the world or oh, are definitely. there significant differences? Or There, there are some, uh, I mean, people who've encountered these have had first-hand accounts. Um, the, the stories or descriptions that they give uh, have similarities for sure. Mm. So, um, you know, we are dealing with, with well, they're saying that they're dealing with creatures that can grow up to anywhere between 9 to 10 foot tall. So they're, they're not... They're not little guys. These are quite mm. massive. Um, how they exist in, in the forest, and a lot of people say, well, okay, well, if they do exist, how can we haven't found a corpse yet? But I think a lot of people fail to uh, understand that we're not dealing with with humans here. We're dealing with a completely different form of species here. Mm. Um, and, and these species obviously have had tens of thousands of years of experience of living in the bush mm. and being stealthy. Like in the military, you can have these suits called the Yowie suits and the ghillie suits, but they're not a name for them called Yowie suits mm. in Australia. And ultimately, the, you know, the military, the soldiers will wear these ghillie suits to blend in with the environment mm. so that the insurgents don't actually see them. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of interesting stories coming from people who are credible witnesses, and that's all I can say at this point in time. Because yeah. uh, I don't want to say too much, because I have 
spoken to people who have sort of, <laughs> yeah, who have promised to to maintain a level of you know um, secrecy. But yes. uh, there are people out there who are credible witnesses um, who have experienced uh, these creatures, and yeah, we, we won't find corpses. Why? Because it's, maybe they clean up after themselves. Maybe they have a system in place, a highly developed system in place that doesn't allow us to actually find oh, evidence. Yeah. Because ultimately, what would happen? Just think about it. What would happen if we did find a corpse? Mm. So you would have people going out there hunting for these animals. Mm. Even though it, they, would, they would be told not to, there would still be people out there pursuing these uh, creatures. So um, I think that we have to respect nature and what nature holds, um, and we have to respect uh, especially our Indigenous culture and the warnings that are coming from them as well. Mm. So um, I think that we have to have that respect. And I've learned that over the years that, you know, uh, respect the environment that you're in. Absolutely. No, I think that's a very important point. And also I was thinking maybe, you know, for us of the human kind, it's maybe hard to comprehend that we might be able, that we, we're dealing with some, with, with, with some beings of higher intelligence, and, and oh, absolutely. And that, absolutely. That might be the reason why we don't find them. And also, you know, I mean, we live in the middle here of the Blue Mountains, and that's such a fast area. And I think anyone mm. who is not Australian cannot comprehend what a fast area it is. And there's still areas being discovered where no one else has been before. Mm. And mm. Um, so it is not unlikely that we, that we will one day find um, that we will discover, you know, undiscovered ground in there and, and that there will be amazing discoveries. And uh, mm. But like you said, maybe we're dealing with beings that are too smart or or, or have found ways to not be discovered and mm. don't want to be discovered for those sort of reasons. Mm. Well, that's right. I mean, look, I mean, there's one point that I can tell you that um, uh, I've spoken to some uh, tribal elders and, um, you yeah, they – they have indirectly told, or basically I got the information out of them, is that the uh, the military uh, occasionally approached these tribal elders and learned from them. You know, they learned learn how to track animals, how to identify mm. prints, uh, knowing what kind of uh, berries to eat, what kind of roots to eat, where you find water source and things like that in the Australian wilderness. And these people are the best people to 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 learn from when it comes to survival in the bushland. Mm. Now. Places like the Blue Mountains, I mean, a lot of people do get lost out there and never found. Uh, that's because they're, they're not used to being in such a remote area. Now, when you have survivors or you have people, if I'm, I will refer um, the, the prior or the, uh, the Yowies as people, but if you have people like, like the Yowies, for example, because I don't like using the word creature, I think it's very derogatory. Mm. Um, but you have people like, like these species, and if they have lived there for tens of thousands of years hidden away, mm -hmm. they will know the terrain very, very well. Mm. They will know all the nook and crannies. They'll know how to move through the forest in a stealth-like manner so they're not heard. They will know how to do this because of hunting. They'll know how to do this because of the influence of, of white men in this country. Um, and how a white man has encroached onto their territory. So, you know, these are some of the things that we need to consider and need to understand that just because we don't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. Exactly. No, I totally agree with you. And it's it's mm. a fascinating, fascinating area. And, you know, I can't wait to, you know, to hear more about that maybe on another on another day. And, um, sure. Yeah. And, and so, 
is is that where can we find support information or do you have documentaries available on on this particular topic that we could well, or is yeah, that about to be released or no, 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 it's on Vimeo. It's a Vimeo on demand. So uh, there's a series called PI Uncut. So apparently, Investigators Uncut, and it's on Vimeo. Um, and it's a Vimeo on demand base. So there's uh, five episodes there of different stories from UFO encounters to cryptozoology like um, uh, Australian Bigfoot. Um, and there's also things on ghost hunting in Australia as well. So it, it looks at the, it's a snapshot of where the Australian paranormal culture is and was back one or two years ago. Fantastic. Mm. And I see that we've been talking for over an hour, and I, and I have to be honest, I, you know, I could listen to you for hours and hours. But <laughs> I do appreciate, you know, you're a busy man, and I'm really, no, okay. really grateful that you've made um, time for me today in your weekend. And um, the list is never ending of, of projects that you have embarked on since um, 2006 when I had. Uh, the um the privilege of meeting you and the team at the time and uh yeah i just want to say a big big thank you and uh i would love the opportunity in the future to talk to you again and and perhaps you know share a few more stories it's amazing thank you so so much my pleasure and i don't have problems at all a big thank you from sydney australia for listening don't forget to subscribe it's free and will give us better visibility on itunes so it will help us continue doing what we're doing and please share your strange stories with us we'd love to hear from you you can do that through our facebook page australian strange stories see you next time you've been listening to australian strange stories Tune in again next time for more real stories about hair-raising encounters, unnerving events, and weird happenings. See you next time. Don't be a stranger.